growing up as a child, I had this picture of what adult life was going to look like. I thought adults liked getting up early. I thought it was going to be easy. I didn't know or even think if my mom had an alarm clock. I'm pretty sure I thought she just woke up every morning like the sun did. It just happened, and it was easy, and it was fluid. Um, I, I thought adults knew everything. Right? And, and I never found my mom speechless. I never had a moment where I, I walked away from an adult being like, oh, they don't have a clue because they always seem to have an opinion about it. And I just thought when you become an adult, it gets easy to get up. You know everything. I thought coffee was like some really cool adult drink like beer, right? That it was just this magical thing that every adult seemed to drink it. And now I realize as an adult that coffee isn't really that cool. It's just a means to an end to get caffeine in our body. And if there was a, a legal way of getting caffeine in our bodies quicker, we'd probably do it, right? That you probably, like me, have realized when you get to adulthood, it's not all that you thought it would be. It's far more difficult, right? When you're a child, you used to get jealous because your parents and the adults in your life could stay up as late as they wanted. And now, as an adult, you get jealous that your kid gets to go to bed so early sometimes because they get more sleep, right? But when you're, when you're a child growing up, everything about the adult life looks easy. No one tells you what to do, right? You live in this oppressed society as a child because the, they, they keep telling you what to do, and you're like, when I become an adult, no one will tell me what to do. Then you become an adult, and you realize that everyone has a right to tell you what to do, and in fact, some of them pay you so that they can tell you what to do. And then there are there's something called taxes that you never even knew existed as a child where people that you don't even know come and take things from you, right? And when you're, when you're a child, you don't think about change because change happens to you. Right? I, as a, I remember as a teenager, I didn't need to find change. Change was looking for me. I wake up one morning and my voice was squeaky, awkward. I didn't ask for that. At hair growth, I mean, all of a sudden hair up here starts happening down here, and I'm like, you know, it's in a day and age when a mustache didn't have quite the same flair that it does now, right? And you're a middle school boy with a mustache, and you're trying to work through that process that you could eat whatever you want when you were a child, right? And the only way you grew was up. And now as an adult, um, I don't have hair growth. If it is, it's in places I don't want it, right? And some of us pay money to get rid of the hair that we don't want that keeps growing. And uh, the hair I did have that I wanted kind of fell out on me somewhere in my 20s, and it, it ain't never coming back. And the, there's a lot of growth that happens sometimes, but it ain't going up. If I, I don't have to just, like, eat food now. I don't know about you, but I've discovered my metabolism is, like, dropping like the Titanic, that now I can smell really good food and I get fatter, right? And that being an adult... Change doesn't just happen, or at least the good change that we want doesn't just happen. And in fact, one of the primary drivers for any of us to go to the doctor is when we see a lot of growth and change in our life, and it just happened on its own. We call that cancer, right? I mean, there's this realization as an adult that change is something you have to work towards. I never made a, middle, I never made a New Year's resolution when I was growing up. Never seen a 13-year-old who sat down with me and said, hey, you know what? I've got four compelling New Year's resolutions this year I'm working on. I'm going to grow taller. I'm going to deepen my voice. I'm going to work out my underarm hair a little bit. Right? They didn't have to do it. But as an adult, if we want to see change in our life that's positive and lasting, we have to work towards it. 
In fact, I would even argue that there are kind of this, there's a grid that I want to kind of put forth that's going to serve as a basis of how we're going to work through this month. That there are four types of lives. That it really works off of a quadrant, quadrant of priorities, right and wrong, and it works off the discipline and undisciplined. I've got this up on the screen behind me that there is the driven life. And most of us, we, we know someone like this, that's charging, hard-getting, go-getting, I'm going to conquer the world, and they move, but they're super disciplined, but their priorities are out of whack. And then you've got the drifting life, right, which is on the other side, and some of us have been there before, where it's, you know what you should do, but you, just, it's, you seem to kind of gotten off course with that. It's like you know you need to go work out. You know you need to be spending time with your family, but you're just kind of drowning in the details of every day. And you're just kind of drifting. And then there's the delusional life, right? The idea that it doesn't matter that I don't have right priorities and it doesn't matter that I don't even have a plan to get there. It's all going to work out in the end, right? It's the YOLO kind of, kind of go get them kind of living that says you only live once, live it all. And... At the end of the day, there's really not a good destination in mind. But there is a fourth life, and it's the one that I want us to start to unpack this morning. And we'll look at some of the others over the course of this month. It's the designed life. See, I think the designed life happens at the intersection of the right priorities and a disciplined and right plan. And that the designed life is the life that you and I, where we take responsibility for this thing that we've been entrusted with, our life. Right? When we understand that no one else is responsible for it. But I'm responsible for my life. And instead of us going into 2016, maybe thinking up some really good New Year's resolutions, that we walk into 2016 saying, you know what, instead of resolutions, I'm going to take responsibility. Because resolutions, as good as they are, only about 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually end the year with them. One out of four of us in this room who've made New Year's resolutions have already fallen off the bandwagon. By the end of this series, well over half of us who've made New Year's resolutions will have completely fallen off the bandwagon. And I think there's something better than resolutions. I think it's called responsibility. I think it's called the design life. And while on the surface this may say, well, I've heard Tony Robbins talk about that, or that's like really good high-level MBA training, reality is that all of those people stole it because this has been around for 2,000, 3,000 plus years because when the wisest man who had ever lived started sitting down with his son to give him advice about growing into adulthood, he started with the design life because he realized that, son, the most important thing that you and I will ever get to do is take responsibility for the life we've been entrusted and so today what I want to do is I wanted to dive in and, and kind of unpack the mystery because I think there's a little bit of a mystery when we see those people because we all know they're, they're the rare, the exception, but those ones who seem to go through their day and their day is not driving them, they're driving their day. Right? When they just seem to have things working together, it's like there's a synergy, things are firing on all cylinders and it's easy on the outside looking in to be like, what secret mojo do they have, right? I mean, every time someone successful is interviewed, they're always like, so what's your schedule? They're, they're trying to unpack all the little tiny details and I think what's really behind most of these people who are successful is what Solomon said to his son 3,000 years ago. When he starts in Proverbs 4 with a very simple but challenging phrase. 
So if you have your Bible or if you have the Encounter Church Bible app, you can go ahead and fire up the sermon notes. Um, that passage will already be loaded in there so you can take notes with it. If not, you can fire up the Bible portion in the app and it's also already loaded for you. If you don't have a Bible and you, you like the physical book world, right? I get that. Swing by starting point. We would love to kind of just give you one that is from the primary version that we use on most Sunday mornings. So Proverbs 4, 20 through 20, 23 through 27, it goes like this. Above all else, right? Which, so when the wisest man in the world who's ever lived starts with the phrase, above all else, it's probably a good one to take notice of, right? It's like, okay, this is, you're already a really sharp guy. It's like if you're at a business seminar or you're at a conference for whatever you do during the week and someone says to you, well, here's my one secret. Or here's the most successful thing I've ever done. You're, you kind of lean in with your notepad, right? And this is what Solomon's doing to his son. He's like, son, above all else, above everything else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is a very uh, primary kind of foundational passage from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is primarily um, a collection of the sayings and the writings and the advice that Solomon gave to his sons training them to take over the kingdom. But this is also foundational for any Jewish boy or girl growing up as a child. They would have heard these passages. In fact, Jesus would have been intimately aware of this because he would have been instructed in the book of Proverbs growing up. And even if you were to look at Jesus' life at age 12, there seems to be this really strong drive and understanding of priorities and plans that's happening even as a 12-year-old when he is found in the temple and his parents are like, what are you doing here? And he says, well, don't you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be about what my father wants and that's why I'm here. Jesus, even as a 12-year-old, understood that there is a design life that it happens at the intersection of right priorities and the right plan. And, and so, to, in order for us to be able to journey along the same path as Jesus and the same path that Solomon laid out 3,000 plus years ago, I think we have to, to do two things that comes out of this passage from this section. I think we have to start by clarifying our priorities, right? That you have to clarify your priorities. And then we have to align your plans or align our plans. So we see in verse 23, he says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. He, he really kind of lays on this heavy responsibility of, above all else, guard. This is your task. These are your priorities. And when the idea of your heart is the heart for the Hebrew or, or a Jewish boy or girl growing up, the heart was far more than like the, the source of love. It was the steering wheel of life. It was the central driving kind of priorities of what was the most important things in my life. And that was the steering wheel in which everything and that vehicle I drove headed towards. And so when he says to his son, guard your heart, he's saying, son, there are certain things in life that you need to protect. Those things are the priorities for who you are. Those things are, are essential. The central themes and the priorities. And out of those things flow everything. He even in the verse 23 where he says, everything you do flows from it. He pulls an imagery of a well. He uses this Hebrew word that implies 
a pump in a well. It's like, son, you know how if something gets tainted at the bottom of that well, every cup, every bucket pulled is distorted and tainted too. He says, you have to fight to keep your priorities. You have to guard them. I think for many of us, we sometimes haven't ever sat down to actually clarify what those priorities are in life. It's easy to kind of just, you graduate college, you, you kind of have an idea, I need to, to get a job, and you kind of hit life, and then life hits back, and you just kind of start to navigate. And it's easy to wake up 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, and I've never actually thought, where do I want to go? In fact, um, I fly American Airlines quite frequently, and in the midst of the merger, U.S. Airways to American, there's this strange thing that American, I would always hear the flight attendants do on American Airlines, and it's just kind of odd to me. And it was right before the plane doors closed. They would always make this announcement. Uh, attention, uh, this is your last chance to deboard the plane before we depart today for Washington Dulles or Philadelphia. And I was always like, why in the world are they making an announcement? Like, after 30 minutes of boarding, of all the fighting to try to get the spot for your carry-on and, like, get the seat that's, like, comfortable, in the midst of all of that epic struggle, like, no one goes to the airport because they just want to be frisked, right? I mean, like, no one goes there to go through all of that, and no one goes through all that to get on the plane that in the last minute they just walk off. And yet, I've seen it happen where I'm sitting in my seat and somebody walks by me, and I'm like, what in the... Where are you going? Right? <laughs> like, and so one day we, had a, we got kind of stuck on the tarmac, and I just, the, a flight attendant walked by and I said, Hey, I got a question. Um, I, I'm kind of new with you guys. I used to fly U.S. Airways, and, and I've noticed that every, every one of the flights I have with you guys, you always say, This, like, this is your last chance to get off the plane. I, I'm just curious why. And, and she responded, She said, Well, you know, what's interesting is even though we live in a digital age, um, and you would think that it can't happen. Every once in a while, somebody gets on a plane with the wrong ticket, and they end up in a seat that they never should have sat in. And so we've had it happen enough that as a policy now, we just say, hey, before you leave, just want to make sure everybody's wanting to go to Washington. If you don't want to go to Washington, leave now. And um, I, I was kind of sitting there listening to her telling that story, and I realized, oh my goodness. And but I don't think that's just an American airline problem. I think that's a life problem sometimes. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where we haven't thought about where it's taking us. And if we just kind of keep rolling with it, we're going to end up in a different place than we ever intended to go. I don't know about you, but I have years of my life where I can look to, and, I, and I'm that guy sitting on the plane headed for the exact opposite place that he wanted to go. Right? Nobody in marriage stands in front of their significant other and says, oh, what I really hope to do is completely emotionally destroy you and us have a bitter divorce that, that completely robs us of our personal integrity and of our finances. I, I, I look forward to crushing you seven to ten years from now. Like, no one ever says that, right? No one ever says, man, I, I really want to Amazon one-click myself into debt that destroys my family. Uh, no, one, no one's ever seen that one-click button as a self-destruct button. But yet it happens, doesn't it? That we find ourselves in places, and because we haven't clarified where we want to go, we end up on a flight taking us to a place we never, ever would have bought a ticket for had we known in advance. And that's why Solomon to his son is like, clarify your priorities. Know where you want to go, son. 
This is critical. If you are going to get to where you want to get to, then you have to know where you want to go. And so for us, I, I think there's a benefit, and even while we put it in the notes today with some space underneath it, is to say, where do you want to go? Psalm 90, 12 is a great prayer. It says, teach me to number my days, O Lord, that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Stephen Covey stole that prayer written by Moses and created this whole concept called Zeta A thinking, where he says, start in the end where you want to go and work backwards. So here's a great question for you. What do you want said about you at your funeral? It doesn't matter if it's decades from now, because you don't know if it's decades from now. I don't know if it's decades from now. What do you want said about you? Do you want to put your family members in an awkward spot to lie? Or even the more awkward spot to tell the truth? Or do you want them to say things about you that you actually want them to say? What do you, what do you want to look like in your retirement? What kind of financial position do you want to be in your retirement? Who do you want to be at the end of 2016? Who do you want to be at the end of 2020? And I know that can feel far away, but it's like sitting on the airplane without paying attention to where it's headed and then getting off at that destination and, and being surprised by where you are. But by sitting out and just carving out a few minutes in the course of today or even right now and saying, you know what? What do I really want in life? And I can tell you what I want. It may not exactly be the same thing for you, but my faith is really important to me. So there are certain things about my faith that I really want to see. I want to become more and more like Jesus. I, I want my daughter to say that about me. I, I want my grandchildren to say that about me. I want to, I want to hold hands with my wife when I'm too old, too old to even hold them. Right? I mean, I... I want to be more in love with her then than I am now. I, I grew up in a really broken, broken context. I have a lot of family members behind me or people who I don't want to be like. But knowing who you don't want to be is not the same thing as knowing who you want to be. And I can just speak personally from just because you started from a bad place and you know where you don't want to go doesn't mean that you, you actually know where you want to head off to. And that's why clarifying priorities makes a difference. When you say, I, I, I want to live to an older age. I want to be healthy. I, have, I want my daughter to be my friend when she doesn't have to live in my house anymore. Like I, I look forward to the day when, I'm a, when she's a 30, 35, 40-year-old woman and she calls dad because she wants to talk. Maybe that's not a definition of success for you, but that's a priority for me. Because I'm not parenting to launch her out so I don't have to pay bills. I'm parenting her because I want a relationship that lasts into adulthood. And by sitting down to say, this is what's really most important to me, then all of a sudden you start to have something to aim at. But that by itself is not enough. We all know people who have gym memberships but never go to the gym. Right? There are certain gym models that are built around that, right? The way that they financially are able to exist is that they know that people will buy memberships, but they won't show up. But just because I have a gym membership doesn't mean I'm going to get healthy. And that's where the second thing is not just clarifying priorities. It's also aligning the plans, right? In 24 through 27, he says, keep your mouth 
Let your eyes look straight ahead. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet. Do not turn to the right or left. He, he shifts from this know where you want to go to this very intentional holistic and the way you speak and the way you think and the way you act and the way you walk. Make sure that how you're doing all those things are in alignment with your priorities. He says, son, you need to know that just because you know where you want to go is not a guarantee that you're going to get there. Your schedule, your plans, your time, your energy has to be focused in on that. In the fall of the Vietnam um, kind of collapse of the Vietnam conflict between North and South, and the Americans were wrapped into that, um, April um, 29th, 1975, just a few days after the Americans have begun to pull out, uh, the North Vietnamese Army, the Communists, had begun to invade the southern parts of Vietnam. And Saigon was one of those cities that they were right on the gates and getting ready to be pressed in. There was a, a man at the time, he was in his mid-twenties, he was a father of three young kids, and, uh, and he knew that it would, in a matter of hours, the Communist Army was going to be at his doors, and because he had been a high-ranking official in the army, he would be arrested, probably killed, and his family would have been sent to work camps that were brutal. So he came up with this daring plan to sneak into a military base to, to steal a helicopter that he had intimate knowledge of how to fly before the North Vietnamese Army got there. And so um, Ba Van Nguyen sneaks in, steals a Chinook helicopter, and he tells his family, when you hear the Chinook helicopter, come out with everything that you can carry because we're leaving. You see, Bavon had watched that day as American helicopters had been rescuing Americans who were still trapped in um, Saigon, and he saw them on a flight path, and so he assumed there must be a way to get out. There must be American ships off the coast. And so he steals a Chinook, he lands it in his mother's, mother-in-law's field, and his family load up on the Chinook helicopter, and he takes off. He starts flipping through the channels, speaking broken English, trying to find the channel that the American army was using. He finds a response in one of the channels and begins in broken English to kind of navigate towards where they are. He sees it off the, the coast. It's the USS Kirk. And it's a, it's a small ship, so small, in fact, that when he gets the Chinook helicopter up to its deck, the soldiers run out and they start screaming no because the helicopter is too big to land on the USS Kirk. It will sink it. It's way too large. And so um, Bavon, when is sitting there, he sees a U.S. ship that he knows can save his family, but he's in a vehicle that will never, a, never be able to land. So he comes up with a plan. He radios down to the soldiers, says, we're going to start throwing our children to you. And so his three kids, including his infant daughter, is thrown to American soldiers standing on the deck. But now he's got this conflict. He's rescued his family. They're on an American ship, but now he's flying a helicopter that's an incredibly complex machine to maneuver, and he can't land it. And so he hovers about 120 yards away from the ship and is about 10 feet above the water. And for 20 minutes, he undresses while maneuvering a, a Chinook 10 feet above the ocean. The people on the, the boat are, 
are amazed because this is an incredibly, incredibly complex thing he's doing. Till finally, they notice that all of his flight uniform is completely removed and all they see is a small 130-pound Vietnamese man and a red underwear that his wife had made for him. And he's still piloting the Chinook. And in the moment, he tips the Chinook to roll right and he runs and jumps out the other side to the left and dives in the water. And the Chinook hits blades, metal, shrapnel, everything flies because here's a Chinook in full speed hitting the ocean. And they, they stay and they watch and they see red liquid floating on top of the water. And his family is standing 120 yards on this. On this they're just like, what, where's our father? Where's my husband? And all of a sudden they see a small little tiny Vietnamese head pop up out of the water and he's swimming towards them. And he makes it up. The red liquid was just hydraulic fluid because when, that, when the Chinook hit, it, it was ripped to shreds and flipped over and began to sink. And this little 130, 140-pound man swam and was able to get rescued out of the ocean and was reunited with his family. And his son said to him, Dad, I knew when you left this morning and you said, I'll be back, I knew you were coming. And I knew you had a plan. You see, here's a father who I think captures the beauty. When, when you know where you want to go and you have the passion and the plan to get there, what you start to experience is a synergy of things working together that go way beyond what you could ever imagine. And Bhavan Nguyen is a perfect example of that. And it wasn't just this one moment. Within five years of moving as a refugee to America, he was a U.S. citizen because he said, within five years, our family's going to contribute to this nation that has set us free. And within five years, they were citizens and they were paying taxes and they were working hard. And he would constantly remind his kids where they came from. And he would push them to work hard. Because he was a man who understood priorities and plan. When they align, you can live a designed life. And what that looks like very practically is if, if family's a priority, then you realize that most of the time, family doesn't spell L-O-V-E as love. It spells T-I-M-E, right? My daughter wants time with me. My wife wants time with me. And no amounts of I love you doesn't satisfy that. And so that means at the beginning of the year, I have to look at my calendar and I have to decide these are the vacation dates. Here are the days I'm setting aside a couple times a month to, to take my daughter on a date. She knows this, this afternoon we're going to let my wife come along with me because she wanted to because it sounded like fun. But uh, Ella knows that this afternoon Daddy and her have a date scheduled. If it's finances, it means that you sit down and you do the very unsexy thing called budgeting where you say, okay, here's how much money I have. Here's how much money I want to save. Here's how much the groceries cost. Here's how much the cable bill costs. And at the end of the, the, end of the kind of exercise, you get down and one number's bigger than the other, and it's what you've got to spend with what you have, then you start cutting things. Because that's called budgeting. And it's not fun. It's quite painful. Right? If you want to get healthy, going to the gym and eating right, like, I feel when I go to the gym the next day. I'm, I'm sore and I'm slow. It's the very opposite of what I went to the gym for. 
But I recognize if I want to see health, that there's going to be some pain in the exchange that has to happen. Because if it's not on my schedule, if it's not on my calendar, it's not going to happen. Because I've never gotten to the end of the year. And with the 8,700 plus hours that I have and that you have in the typical year, I've never gotten to the end of it and said, man, you know, there's, a, there's about 15, 20 of those uh, hours just kind of hanging around. I get to the year end every single year and all 8,700 plus of those hours were filled. Your calendar and my calendar will be filled. The question is, they will be filled with either your priorities or someone else's. And if you don't put your priorities in your calendar first, someone else will. And I know that we don't have time to dive into the nitty-gritty of like, okay, but there are some of those people's priorities that matter because they pay me. So how do you, how do you deal with that tension? Or how, how do I manage? Because I have more demands it starts with clarifying your priorities. What's the most essential? What's the most important in my life? And how can I put those things in my calendar? And how can I begin to shoehorn everything I have to work together? Because I think there's actually something far more painful than doing the work of trying to figure out how to clarify my priorities and align my plans. And I think it's getting to the end of our lives and wishing we had. I think that's far more painful than the short-term pain that you and I will have to deal with as we clarify our priorities and start to align our plans in light of them. Because there will be a point where our kids are out of the house. Or you bury your spouse or your spouse buries you. Or when that job responsibility ends. And we take our last breath here. And in that moment, as you transition from this to the next life, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be around that bed when you do it? Because we're not promised the details of how it ends. But what we're given and what Solomon said to his son is we are given the responsibility to do something with the life that we've been entrusted. And it begins with clarifying our priorities, aligning our plans. And I think Jesus is the perfect example of this. Because as a 12-year-old, he was doing it. And when you look at his three years of ministry, imagine, so I get that some of us in here may not even buy in that Jesus was God. But I study historical figures all the time. And here's what's most impressive to me. Is Jesus, in the course of his life, never travels more than about a three days journey. Right? Many of us, over the course of Christmas or Thanksgiving, traveled further to see family than Jesus ever traveled his entire life. He never had prestigious degrees from any of the, the most prestigious universities or teaching groups. He never wrote a single thing down and yet, in the midst of those three years, he sets into motion one of the most revolutionary forces of love that has ever existed called Christianity and the church. And he did it because he was laser-focused on the fact that he was called by God, that he was living a life that was headed towards a cross to die so that you and I could have life, and that he, he allowed no one to take him off that course. And when people did try to step in. He pushed them away. 
that he understood. He got up early and he spent time in prayer. He spent time reflecting on what the Bible said because that was a priority. And that Jesus is the ultimate example, not just because in love he was motivated and he pushed forward so that you and I could have life, but that even as a young boy, he took this wisdom, applied it, and demonstrated in the midst of the three years of his life that it is possible, even in the midst of a world where people aren't living a designed life, to do it. And we want to invite you, over the next three, three, four weeks, as we work through this series, and over this 366 days called 2016, to join us in that. Maybe you're like, I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe you feel like a flea at a dog show, right? You see all the opportunity, you see all the urgency, but you don't know what to do with it. And we've, we've created something called Jumpstart, where is, there's nothing kind of overtly religious. We're not sitting around like burning candles, talking and chanting. It's just, hey, do you want to have this year be a little different? Then over the course of January, we want to give you some resources. We want to send you some self-evaluation stuff for you. We want to send you some encouragement and some advice that kind of fits towards that area. Because instead of trying to fix all of it, start with one thing. Pick one priority and say, what does a plan look like? And then sign up for Jumpstart. You can do it in the app or swinging by starting point. And we'll come alongside of you and help. For some of you, maybe I, I just I, I need a context where I can contribute or I want to be part of a group that's, that's helping me grow. Then I would encourage you to even today, sign up for the group. And on the app or by a starting point, we have something called Life Groups. And we have one that's called Conversations. And it's just meant to... Maybe you're not sure about this whole Christian thing. Maybe you're not sure about faith or you have questions and doubts and struggles and you're like I really want to grow in my faith or I really want to explore faith but I'm not sure what that looks like then sign up for conversations today or maybe you you want to be part of you know I feel like I've been giving giving I mean I've been getting and getting and I want to make 2016 about contribution there are people who show up early there's another team that stays a little later there are people who Maybe you'll never be on this stage because you would rather, I don't know, never be on this stage, right? Um, but there are people who allow all of this to happen every single week, and you never see them. But they just faithfully serve. And they love because whatever happens on Sundays, they leave knowing because of them it, it occurred because they were part of it. So whatever that may be, we, we want to help come alongside to make 2016 the best year ever.